Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Dijanovic Show on KSL News Radio. We're on live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine. And every day we start off with the launch, so the keyword is going to be launch. So text that keyword to five seven five zero zero, and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. Dave and Dijanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Oh my goodness, I'm so happy it's Friday, and I am so glad that Taylor Morgan in from KSL at night, also a lobbyist on Capitol Hill, is in for Dave Noriega today. And uh, we just plucked you off of Capitol Hill moments ago. Where were you? Well, I was in meetings, Debbie. We have one week to go. One week. I am counting down the minutes, the hours, and the days. If my voice is a little bit rough, a little bit haggard on the show today. You've been yelling at lawmakers? I've been getting yelled at probably more than I've been doing the yelling. I'll say that. But uh, we got a week to go. Counting down. A week to go uh, in the 2024 general session of the Utah legislature. we got plenty to talk about, too. Um, we're going to breeze past the launch today because Taylor has so much to say. But <laughs> every other day of the week, and we appreciate it uh, that the launch is brought to you by Mountain America Credit Union. Eye on the Hill 2024. Special coverage with Dave and Dijanovic. Let's talk about what lawmakers are doing on Capitol Hill this session that is uh, eye-opening. Um, in an effort to keep public documents, government records, a a secret. And this has been a real issue for us in the media because we believe in something called transparency. But it's just not about the media, Taylor. Uh, The public often goes in and files records requests to get information about how much their elected officials are are earning or uh, what their emails have said about a particular issue. So privacy doesn't just impact um, the media's efforts to get documents. Yeah. It's also impacting the public. So what's the what's the scuttle on Capitol Hill with all of this? Well, there's a lot to talk about here. And I want to start perhaps with a very clear, emphatic disclaimer. And that is that even though I'm a lobbyist and I wear that hat and I'm a political consultant, I believe very strongly in transparency. I believe that the people's business should be conducted in public. Utah does an incredible job of providing access to Mm -hmm. information for the public. Le.utah.gov may be the very best state legislative website in the entire country. Listeners, if you haven't spent time on le.utah.gov, please do. You can watch and see and find anything and everything you could possibly want to know about the legislature and legislation. Debbie, one of the things that I have seen personally over the years on Capitol Hill that I think is a basis for some of the things the legislature might be doing is that often in the media, we tend to gravitate towards sensationalism. We love a scandal. Sometimes we ignore the facts to highlight a scandal to get a good headline. Now, I will say I've last week marked my two year anniversary here at KSL News Radio. And I've been so proud to be here because we don't do that. And I say that with all sincerity. I believe that we work harder to get both sides and get the facts. But a lot in the press, Debbie, they're just looking for a scandal. I, I would, I would disagree with you. I think, I think the using the word a lot is uh, too broad. There might be a couple here and there, but what ends up happening is when we find out information about public officials and what they're doing behind the scenes, and then we 
you know, publish an article or we produce a news story, it turns into a scandal because of the way the public official is acting about it. That's it's not fair. because of anything yep, that that's we've fair. done. We're just exposing uh, you know, important information about how taxpayer money is being used, whether your elected official is acting within the guidelines of the law. Um, there's lots of stories that you know I've been a part of, KSL has been a part of, our investigative unit has been a part of, uh, that are very important. And without getting, uh, without keeping information public, then it just makes it so it's secret. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to turn uh, to Jeff Hunt. He's a First Amendment attorney. He is a media attorney. Uh, he has worked on these issues for years. Full transparency. I myself have worked with Jeff. I have f- complete respect for him. And he will outline three things that Utah lawmakers have been working on to keep private, to keep out of public view. So here's a couple of examples. There is a bill. Um, that would make the water usage of government uh, golf courses, public golf courses, non-public information um, under our open record statute. And currently, um, we get that kind of data, and it's very helpful uh, to the public, especially um, with the the concern over water usage here in Utah and the the depletion of the Great Salt Lake. There's been a lot of public focus on water usage, both private and public. And this bill would actually um, make that kind of information off limits to the public. We've seen a bill that um, is passed out of committee that that would prevent the public from understanding uh, the name, image, and likeness agreements entered into by student athletes at the public uh, universities, even though uh, the universities provide the public platform for these athletes to realize that value um, and allow them to use the university's names and trademarks. And actually, the universities review the contracts to make sure that they're compliant with university uh, policies and with NCAA. Uh, rules regarding eligibility. So you got the government actually regulating the content of these these uh, name, image, and likeness um, deals, but there's no public oversight over that under this bill. And the third one I would mention is uh, just the attempts to define public bodies out of the Open and Public Meetings Act. There's a, a bill being run that would um, would make a water council, a water district, water development council, um, not a public body under the Open Meetings Act. So uh, those those are just three examples, and there's many more where the the public is uh, being cut out of uh, observing, you know, the conduct of the public's business by by government. So, Taylor, you take the NIL component in that, keeping those contracts secret. Yeah. So this NIL, name, image, and likeness legislation sponsored by Representative Jordan Tusher, we actually had him on KSL at night uh, about a week and a half ago to talk about this specific bill. This is an example where the 30,000-foot view, the takeaway could be, oh, we're trying to hide public information, public records. But what his bill would actually do is it would protect the privacy of our student athletes at public universities. It would require them 
to work with the university any time they receive an offer of more than $600 for name, image, and likeness sponsorship. Uh, it would set up some parameters protecting them from you know, alcohol, tobacco, and gambling industry sponsorship. And it, it still allows the university and the student-athlete to work together uh, to actually make sure that what they're doing is appropriate. But what it does is it protects the private financial contract between that student and a public university. It shields that from public view. I, don't, I think that's a good thing. I don't, I don't I don't need to know what a student <laughs> athlete what a what a 19-year-old student athlete is getting paid in NIL Debbie. Oh, I don't need to know abs- that information. We absolutely That's between need to- the public university and the, Look. Listen, if you're a BYU fan, maybe you want to hide it because you're getting beat in NIL recruiting. That's the only reason, perhaps. But really, this is good for student-athletes at public universities. Okay, you argue it's good. I I don't see the good in it at all. I think these contracts should be public. I don't see uh, why the public and the media can't get in there and make sure that everything is done according to NCAA uh, rules. Uh, Look at this push to keep even Water District public meetings uh, out of public view. You might think, well, okay, what's the big deal with the water district? Look, a few years ago, my producer of KSL 5 Television, when I was in the investigative unit, we went in and started digging through the records of a local water district here in Salt Lake County and found that the top five employees in the water district earn an average of a quarter million dollars a year. Okay, that's crazy. You win that point. (laughs) I win, right? I mean, I win. This is why we can't have these public meetings and public information private. In 2021, kudos to the Salt Lake Tribune when they went in and found out and through digging through all the Salt Lake County records that golf courses used 663 million gallons of water in Salt Lake County in 2021. But lawmakers want to privatize how much water is being siphoned off. Look, I love to golf. But I don't want my golf course using, you know, 100 million gallons of water, you know, down the street. And so somebody else can't get the water that they need. So this is this is why we talk about uh, open records, keeping records open. And in fact, we're going to continue the conversation in the 10 o'clock hour with the KSL5 investigative team when they step in the studio with us, Taylor, and talk about uh, their fight to keep calendars, uh, elected officials' calendars, open to public view. Uh, Next, Nikki Haley uh, heads into her home state for the South Carolina primary tomorrow. Um, But she's also battling something else. The age of the men in the race. And I think Governor Cox has said it best. You cannot tell me that someone in their 80s can be running a country of 360 million people. It just, it, it. Does not work. Did our governor just align his views on age? Shots fired, Debbie. Nikki Haley, next. Dave and DeGeneres. All right, uh, Governor Cox, um, on KSL News Radio, uh, let me speak to the governor. Calling out uh, those who are running for the presidency. I think he was very specific, though, in who he was talking about. I don't think he was addressing Nikki Haley in any of this. Uh, <laughs> but but he did he did go. Uh, do we listen to all of his comments, Taylor? It's about a minute and a half. We long. didn't. No, we only caught a short clip of it. Okay, we only caught a short clip of it. But I think uh, Taylor Morgan, by the way, in today for Dave Noriega, I usually catch Taylor at night on KSL at night. Um, I want to hear what Governor Cox said about old people running for the White House. Okay? 
Oh, let's listen. I think we've seen that in both candidates. Um, we, we've seen many moments, public moments, where um, w- this is the hardest job on earth, Maria. I, I am the governor of 3.4 million people, 1% of the United States. And I'm telling you, this job is crushing. I'm 48 years old. I'm in the best shape of my life. I can I run seven miles this morning. And, and it takes every ounce of energy I have to run this state. You cannot tell me. You cannot tell me that someone in their 80s can be running a country of 360 million people. It just, it, it does not work. It does not work. And anybody who tells you otherwise is, is, is fooling themselves. And both parties are doing this. By the way, if you want to vote for a third party candidate, there are three kind of top third party candidates out there. They're all over the age of 70, Maria. Look, I, I know Gen X is the forgotten generation. I, I know I'm the generation nobody cares about and, and we'll get skipped over for everything. But uh, but my goodness, um, this is this is crazy. It's crazy what we're doing out there. So when are you going to run for president? I'm never going to run for president. <laughs> Definitively, they, they you're never going to They don't let people like me be president. And that's that's fine, um, but uh, but there are lots of good options out there. You know, in in both parties, I would say there are there are great options out there. People who are really smart, who have energy, uh, who can do this work, and uh, and and the rest of the world is looking at us and and just kind of laughing, right? Debbie, never say never. I'm so glad that Maria asked that question of Governor Cox. Uh, I have been on the record recently, and to be clear, this is just me speculating. Uh, But, you know, I think Governor Cox has been positioning himself politically recently to be appealing to the National Republican Party. I would not say Governor Cox is serious when he says I will never run for president. I think he might throw his hat in the ring at some point. Governor? Yeah. Governor running for president. You do. I could see it. He's had a meteoric political rise here in Utah. Uh, he has the potential to appeal to a national audience. He's a, a governor of the best managed state in the country. Uh, I, I think he has a very, very bright political future. And he's absolutely right that neither Donald Trump at 77 years nor Joe Biden at 80, 81 years uh, seem to be up to the task. We know recent polling has been clear that 71 percent of all voters, even more than 50 percent of Democratic voters, have very, very serious concerns about President Biden's age uh, and his uh, mental acuity and other related issues. Donald Trump fares a little bit better. 61 percent of voters have those feelings about President Trump. So it's a problem. We need new leadership. We need fresh blood in Washington, D.C. And, you know, I think Governor Cox is an example of someone that could potentially What's lead. so off the wall to me is you have a candidate who's far younger than President Trump. It is time that we finally put the past behind us. Nikki Haley. Um, and at this point in the, in the race, of course, she faces a primary tomorrow in South Carolina, her home state where, where she was governor. Um, she hasn't fared so well against no. uh, President Trump. Yeah. And it, so it seems to me, uh, you know, when the governor's talking about age and how, you know, to get to be 80 years old. I mean, to me, when I'm 80 years old, I'm there's no way. Right. I, I yeah. mean, I might be I might I, I believe age is a state of mind. So I might be out there hiking still. I'm hopefully traveling, but I don't want to be leading a country. That just feels like it's just that though I 
I missed my calling then when I was in my 40s (laughs) and 50s and maybe my 60s, but I don't, that's not what, that's not the load I want to take on. But with Haley, what do you think that is, Taylor? That they're, if anything, we're going to complain about their age. Why would we not? latch on to somebody like her who's younger, youthful. Yeah. Well, it's it's such a great great question, Debbie. And if I had a clear answer, then I'd be making a lot more money than I am as a political consultant. Everyone is trying to understand why Nikki Haley has just not broken through. She's an incredibly appealing candidate. My best opinion is that Nikki Haley really rose to prominence in the orbit of Donald Trump. And not to go too far with the metaphor here, we did just land on the moon. Uh, right. But this Nikki is Haley is a object, celestial object, perpetually caught in the orbit of Donald Trump. Takes a ton of energy to get out of that orbit and she could never do it. Well, she has all the right things to say about it. The first party to retire its 80 year old candidate is going to be the party that wins this election. And I think it should be the Republicans that win this election. Uh, Let's take you back to Washington, D.C., where President Biden, um, (laughs) speaking of the president, is now addressing uh, the media regarding uh, sanctions that were imposed uh, against Russia. Get things done for families, for communities, for the country. That's why I kept my commitment to be president for all Americans, whether you voted for me or not. In fact, we've invested more in all we've passed in red states than we have in blue states. That's a fact. Billions of dollars more of them we passed as invested in red states than blue states. I came to office when the pandemic was raging and the economy was reeling. But we've turned things around with your help. The American Rescue Plan provided $350 billion to state and local governments. So he must have pivoted in those moments that we were getting uh, ready to take him live. Uh, He was talking about the new sanctions against Russia. We can get into those details in just a few moments. He's now also uh, speaking. This is actually at a gathering of the National Governors Association. I know our very own governor, speaking of Governor Cox, traveled back to Washington, D.C. this week. Uh, for meetings. Um, and now President Biden is uh, apparently addressing the National Governors Association, uh, all the major networks taking that live, Taylor. Uh, but then that sort of turned into a campaign speech. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> all the... almost fell as- I, I almost fell asleep there, Debbie. Yeah, I wasn't sure what he was talking about. Uh, straight ahead, Taylor and I are going to talk about the gender pay gap, not only nationally, but also I'm going to drill it down to Utah. I started researching this last night um, after I heard a discussion about this on Utah's Morning News yesterday, Taylor, and I was blown away. And then I became incensed that it is February 2024, and we are talking about a Grand Canyon-sized pay gap when it comes to gender, women and men in the workforce with similar careers. In fact, ABC's Jim Ryan spelled out what it looks like on the national front for women when Amanda Dixon asked him about the pay gap. The average male earns about $63,000 per year. That's the average, the national average. It's about $10,000 per year more than his female counterpart with similar education and career. I was blown away, Taylor, when we started doing the math on what this amounts to when it comes to retirement. Like, over the course of our career, ladies, uh, the pay gap is costing us how much? 
Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. The first emotion that I had was, well, I mean, just, just disbelief, and then I became incensed over this because it's it's Fe- it's February 2024, right? I mean, check the calendar. Women still stuck Taylor in a massive pay gap compared to male co- coworkers. And, and and these are women who are equally qualified. Yeah. Um, it's just like this Grand Canyon-sized gap in how much we earn over our career lifetime. And ABC News' Jim Ryan went in-depth this week with our very own Tim and Amanda on Utah's Morning News about wages, salaries. And Amanda stopped him halfway through uh, the in-depth report and said, what did you say about gender pay gap, Jim? It shrank by about 1% over the last 10 years. Not a very fast rate. And uh, between 2020, 2022 and last year, they, the rate of the closing of the gap went down somewhat. So in other words, it, it's staying fairly wide. The, the Right now, uh, the, the average male earns about $63,000 per year. That's the average, the national average. It's about $10,000 per year more than his female counterpart with similar education and career. $10,000 a year difference for similar education, similar career track. And in a few minutes, we're going to take an even uh, wider, a 30,000-foot-up view of this Taylor um, because this isn't just $10,000 a year. This is $10,000 a year over our careers and we're going to get a certified financial planner on the line to tell us what that amounts to. How much are we losing over our lifetime toward retirement? Uh, Taylor, your wife has a career. Uh, she owns her own business, but that wasn't always the case, right? That did, wasn't always the case. Did she experience, because I, I have experienced this in my career, um, and interestingly, uh, with me, it was another female candidate who'd uh, job um, in, uh, who'd been you know applied for the job, and I found out she was earning five thousand dollars a year more than I was, and I'd been in the in I'd been in the job for many years, and so I went to the boss and I said, if you don't give me a five thousand dollars a year raise by tomorrow, I'm going to quit. How did it go? I got a raise. Okay, I got a raise, uh, but we can't always find out. True. What a coworker is earning. Yeah. Um, and so therefore we just go through life like thinking we're doing okay. And then we find out maybe years later, we don't find out at all that we were getting, um, you know, doused. Yeah. I, in our experience and, uh, you know, my wife will tell her own story and I hate to do it for her, but my experience related to what she went through with her career right out of college, she had an experience where male counterparts in her same place of work, uh, with actually less uh, accomplished credentials, men were getting paid more. Uh, she was told because those men were the breadwinners in their homes. What? And because she was a woman, she was married, she had a oh husband that was working that she didn't need to make as much money as men, even though she had a, a, a degree and she had certifications that were above and beyond what her male counterparts uh, had it's in the offensive. same career. So that, in a host of other reasons, led her to uh, become an entrepreneur and start her own business, uh, which frankly started thriving in Debbie. I, She's amazing. I'm, I'm not the greatest guy in the world. Uh, I have a lot of flaws, but I will say that 
she and I made a tough decision at the time. I was actually back in Washington, D.C. working for Congress, and I was on my own uh, career path, and I had my own ambitions. But we both came together and recognized that her business was going to be a lot more successful than I ever could be on my own professionally. So I, I gave up that career path, came back to Utah. We went all in on her business, and it's been the best thing we ever did. That's awesome. And the fact that you supported it, and it's obviously she's working hard every single day to yeah. make it more and more successful is incredible. I married up. I'll say that. Greg Scordis, KSL legal analyst. Uh, you know, I wanted to get you on the line this morning. First of all, happy Friday, Greg. Um, oh, to you too. Yeah, Taylor Morgan. And you know Taylor. You guys work on... Hey, uh, Greg. Yeah, you work on KSL <laughs> at night. Guy. Yeah, yes. you guys are yes. right. So what are our legal rights as women if we find out somebody uh, is is making $10,000 a year more than we are and we have equal qualifications um, and there's this massive salary gap? Because we want that money, Greg. We want that money. Can we sue? <laughs> well, uh, before you do that, you can certainly make an application with the Department of Labor and contact the state and say, look, uh, we all have to be treated equally. We all have to be treated fairly and be paid the same for the same work. So if you find out in your particular job, if a person finds out in their particular job that the company is paying a different salary based on something other than experience or education, and that is based on race or gender, then I would go to the Department of Labor, to Department of Workforce Services, and, and file a complaint and have them do an investigation because no employer wants to be subject to an investigation by a state agency in terms of what they're doing with respect to their wages and the way they're treating their employees. Yeah. I mean, no, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't want that to be published someday. See, so, this is so tough, though, because... So with that advice, not discounting that at all, I'm just trying to put myself in those shoes. And as an employee, maybe going and doing, filing that complaint with the Department of Labor, does that offend my employer? Does that put put my job and my career future at risk? It is so uncomfortable and so awkward. Debbie, in your situation that you recounted, you found out, you happened to find out Mm -hmm. that uh, a coworker was making more than you, so you went in and asked for a raise. How can we find out what our colleagues are making, though? This is all really awkward. I mean, what's wrong with asking, right, Greg? We can ask our colleagues that. Absolutely, and you should. And I would assume that you're safe in making a complaint or an allegation uh, to a state agency anonymously and say, look, I work for XYZ Employer. I believe that the women and men's salaries are being treated differently. I think you should do an investigation and don't leave your name or at least uh, tell them that you do not want to be uh, named because I appreciate what you're saying, uh, Taylor, which is, hey, if I blow the whistle, is that going to hurt me in in the future, getting a raise or getting other promotions or things like that within my employment? So, yeah, I think you can make those those complaints anonymously and and have the investigation done. But if you don't get anywhere... Um, with the Labor Commission or the Department of Labor, whoever you file the complaint with, uh, Greg, can you sue then? <laughs> yes, you can. Deb- and then Debbie salary- just wants then- to yeah. sue someone, well, Greg. Well, then I'm thinking salaries come out in discovery, right? I mean, then you know for sure how right. much yes, everybody is making. Can. And then also you maybe get uh, information from other people's files as to why they're you know making or emails as to why you're making less as well. Right. You'll, you'll almost assuredly be required to have exhausted your administrative remedies okay. by, by at least starting with the administrative agency and at least making a, a complaint through, through that 
channel before you could just sue an employer. But yes, if you don't get the results you want and you still feel like you're being treated uh, disproportionately, by all means, your your ultimate uh, angle, your ultimate thing that you can do is to file a lawsuit. Yeah. Greg Scordis, KSL legal analyst. Thanks so much for joining the program. Greg, I'm going to text you here uh, during the break and ask you how much you get paid for KSL at night. <laughs> just start that conversation here. So thanks for joining us, Greg. <laughs> Fair competition between uh, two KSL at night co-hosts, uh, Greg Scordis and Taylor Morgan, along with me this morning. Into this Friday, we head, and in fact, uh, we've got, you know, we've got, okay, Greg's analysis now that helped me a lot. I'm glad to see that there's some sort of path that you don't have to immediately run to court, honestly, because so, it sounds like you're ready lawyers. to sue. Well, Debbie. you know, <laughs> that's what a lot of people think. It's like, yeah. I'm just going to go to court. I'll, I'll settle this out in a court of law. But you have an administrative remedy, uh, as Greg laid out uh, through the Labor Commission uh, and contacting those folks there to open an investigation. Uh, there's an even more financial um issue involved with all of this and that has to do with how much money women are losing in Utah over the course of their career because we are woefully underpaid there's a massive pay gap um between men and women specifically women in Utah earning 70 cents for every dollar a white male earns that is according to the United States Commission on Civil Rights and a Utah Advisory Committee that looked into this. You will not believe how much that adds up to over the course of our career. I'm going to tell you that next, and we're going to get a certified financial planner on the line as well to talk about what the costs are. If we're going to put that $10,000 a year into a 401k or an IRA, how much that would add up to over the course of our lifetime to help us prepare for retirement. The focus on women and the gender pay gap continues next. Dave and Jennifer. The fact is women are paid a lot less than men for doing the same job. And over the course of our careers in Utah, according to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, the Utah Advisory Committee there put a big report out a few years ago, Taylor. Uh, Women earn, this is white women, earn 70 cents for every dollar a white male earns. Um, And the commission said that disparity could amass to almost a half million dollars over the course of her career. That is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And here's what's even worse about it. The commission went on to say that the pay gap won't close if nothing is done in Utah. Okay, It won't close until the year, you ready for this, 2106. <laughs> Tw- 2106. 2106. Uh, okay, I mean, so. <laughs> Got 80 years. Uh, so not in my lifetime. No, 57 years old. Yeah. Uh, women I know have been dealing this with this for so Many decades. It's worse for black women. 52 cents for every dollar a male earns. Hispanic women, 47 cents for every dollar a man earns. I can't just stop thinking, Debbie. The one thing that I keep coming back to in my head is why. Why in 2024, why are we still paying women so much less than men for the same job? Nationally, the pay gap 
is $10,000 a year for the same experience, the same job. If you're a man, you're making $10,000 a year more than the woman who's sitting next to you in the cubicle next to you. And this is so financially draining, not only for, you know, year by year by year, year over year over year, but when you look at the amount of money that is lost because of this, yeah, for women, let's say I take that ten thousand dollars a year and put it in a four hundred one k, put it in an IRA, right? Over the course of my career, it's not unthinkable that a woman will be in the workforce for forty five or fifty years. I'm on my thirty fifth year, and this affects everyone. Debbie, this doesn't just affect women. Obviously, disproportionately, directly, it does. But, you know, men whose wives are in the workforce, it's obviously hurting them, right? They wouldn't, they want their wife to make what they're worth in that career. Shane Stewart, certified financial planner. So let's, uh, let's sort through the numbers. And I think Taylor brings up an excellent point as well, is that this is hurting families. It's hurting uh, spouses, it's hurting kids, uh, and it's hurting women when it comes to their retirement. So let's say we put that $10,000 a year away into a 401k over the course of our career. How much are we missing out on because of that that being the gender pay gap? Yeah, over a 40-year career, I mean, you're looking at uh, the number is a little surprising to me that it was relatively low because that $10,000 is likely not to be all invested in a 401k maybe a percentage of that the average uh, contribution to a 401k is about 6%. I mean, it's still $100,000 that you could have in your hand for retirement. The more surprising statistics for me are are things like an average mortgage of about 500,000. That payment per month is nearly 3,000 a month. Well, there's a third of your mortgage payment less mm-hmm. if you're a woman. And if an average rent in the state of Utah is right now about $1,800 a month, well, there's half your rent. If you were a woman, if you're a woman and, and making that $10,000 less, there's half your rent that could be, that you could be paying uh, if you're renting. And so, so that's six months. What you're saying is that's, that's six yeah. months worth of rent right there. Right, right. Just half your rent. And so just being able to live is probably the bigger situation. And I think you're right, Taylor, that many people have a dual income family and wouldn't it be nice if they were making the same and I'm, I'm also, frankly, a little surprised that here we are in 2024, and this hasn't gotten a lot better. I'm really surprised that, that that's still going on. Yeah, it it definitely is. I pulled up some numbers on the number of women represented in government, Okay, uh, Debbie and, uh, and Shane. And I know, Shane, this isn't right up your wheelhouse with the financial side of things, but this is... Uh, me injecting the political reality into the conversation here, and I'd love to get you know your uh, reactions to this. But across the country, Debbie, uh, women make up about 32% of all state legislators on average across the country. Here in Utah, uh, just over 20%, just under 25, between 20 and 25% of our state legislators are women. So when it comes to women issues up on Capitol Hill um, and women who are available yeah. uh, to fight for those issues, that becomes really, really tough. Yeah. The gap yeah. in representation of women in our state legislature tracks about right along with the gap in wages for women here in Utah relative to other states. Shane, did you say that um, that it doesn't really impact the 401k savings as much with the compound interest as you thought it would? 
Yeah, it didn't as much as I thought it would, but of course I'm making the assumption that they're living on most of that $10,000 and only saving a small part of it. If if they were saving a larger percentage of that, it can really add up. If they're if they're saving a larger percentage of that additional 10,000, especially if it's dual income, maybe they are saving a lot of one of the spouse's income and and living on the other. I've seen that quite frequently. And if that's true, then yeah, it could really add up to hundreds or maybe even a couple hundred thousand by the time they hit retirement. So it just depends on what they're saving. Uh, but the bottom line is that they're short. They're short what they might be due. And I think it behooves not only, like you mentioned, uh, the the powers that be in making laws and thinking women's yep. issues, but also employers. Employers just need to pay attention and really look at if someone is sitting in the same cubicle across from each other, same amount of experience, same amount of training. Yep. And if one's making more than the other, it doesn't matter, man or woman, right. they should look at that closely because that's wrong. Absolutely. Shane Stewart, Certified Financial Planner, thank you so much for joining this conversation about the gender pay gap in Utah. If you missed the conversation, you want to learn more, we'll have much more at kslnewsradio.com. Straight ahead, KSL Investigators been working to get the work calendar of AG Sean Reyes for quite some time. It hasn't been released yet. And we're going to ask them, Why? Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Dijanovic Show on KSL News Radio. We're on live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine. And every day we start off with the launch. So the keyword is going to be launch. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. Dave and Dijanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. We were talking about secrecy and government records in the nine o'clock hour. We're going to continue that conversation right now with the KSL Five investigative team, Daniela Rivera and Annie Knox in studio with Taylor Morgan and myself. Uh, and we're going to hit this topic, Taylor. Utah lawmakers just don't want their calendars. Uh, or any elected officials' calendars to be public. They want to keep them secret. KSL 5 investigators um, have been working, in fact, to get the work calendar of Attorney General Sean Reyes for, for quite some time. A state records committee ordered it to be released to the investigative team. It has not been released yet. Uh, A.G. Reyes is fighting back in court. And then meanwhile, there's this new proposal that was unveiled on Capitol Hill to make all elected officials' calendars secret. Now, you're a lobbyist on Capitol Hill, Taylor. Uh, You have worked back in Congress before. You have um, probably been involved in records requests and getting information. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I have. Uh, Here's a quick take, and then we're going to get into where this all started and, and what is happening right now. But I, I maybe want to make the point not to make any excuses for our fine lawmakers, but they are citizen legislators, which means they do have day jobs. They have other things going on. They're only full-time lawmakers for 45 days out of the year. That is the only time of the year where they have any kind of staff whatsoever. Honestly, Debbie, I'm of the opinion that I think a lot of our legislators just haven't done a good job of separating their public calendar mm. from their private calendars. They're issued a device by by the state. Mm-hmm. And again, they're part-time citizen legislators. 
And I just think maybe they've used the calendaring option a little too freely. Taylor, uh, A.G. Reyes is not a part-time lawmaker. That he is, is a, a different story. full-time yeah. attorney general for the state of Utah. And let's start there uh, with Daniela Rivera and Annie Knox of the investigative unit. Thanks so much for joining us. I know you guys have been working really hard on this. Let's start with Annie. Uh, why don't you uh, set the scene for our listeners, Annie, and walk us back as the investigative producer. Uh, when did this this entire thing start with A.G. Reyes? It started more than a year ago. Really? And yeah, it's pretty simple. We just wanted to know what's, what it, he had been up to. And so we filed a public records request trying to get a copy of his calendar. Uh, uh, and nothing yet. We have not seen that calendar. In fact, his office has been fighting the release of that calendar. Why? Yeah, that simple records request uh, now takes us to this point where we're preparing to go to court on Monday um, and make our case to a judge about why we feel it's really important that this be released to the public. Annie, you went to the State Records Committee, which uh, is kind of like the like a, a hearing of sorts for records requests. So if you're denied a record, uh, then you can take it an appeal before this committee. So... Uh, what was their reasoning uh, when you got there? And, and did they order that calendar of A.G. Reyes to be released to the KSL 5 investigative team? They did. They sided with us. They said, mm. if you keep your personal appointments on your calendar, you know, that's your decision on your work calendar. Um, but you've, you've got to release that to the public if they ask for it. That's a public record. You can redact those personal appointments, but the public should be able to see, you know, what you're doing on your work time. Yeah. Daniela, you've asked Sean Reyes why he isn't releasing his calendar. What was his response? Yeah, we, we did catch up with him um, down in St. George a couple months ago, and, and we asked. He said he does not believe that calendars are subject to grandma or are considered a record under our open record law here in Utah. Mm. And when I asked him, well, do you think the public deserves to know what you're up to day to day? He said, and I quote, I think the public deserves to know the results of what I'm doing day to day. Hmm. So he's arguing that the calendar is not public record, but the results of whatever he is doing is okay. Um, Danielle, so now we head to court. The KSL 5 investigative team, KSL 5 TV, heads to court because this is where this has landed now, is the fight continues and this this issue lands in court. So uh, when is that being heard? Monday afternoon. And it's important to know our team followed the process laid out in, in law. We filed a record request. We filed an appeal when we got a denial. And then we took that argument, Annie Knox did, to the State Records Committee, and we won. It is the Attorney General's office now taking us to court Monday because they do not want to release that record. And so that is immediately what is at stake. The public's right to look at that record and understand how one of the most powerful elected officials in our state is spending his time on the clock hmm. working for taxpayers. How much of his time is he spending furthering the interests of Utahns? What are his priorities? That's what's at stake immediately. Beyond that, we feel a ruling in favor of transparency would further affirm to everyone in this state that public and elected officials in Utah are to be accountable to the people they serve. Yeah. We're speaking live right now to Daniela Rivera. She's the KSL 5 investigative reporter and also Annie Knox, a KSL 5 television investigative uh, producer who are fighting uh, to get uh, the AG to release his work calendar 
uh, so they can look at it and make sure that um, you, you know Utahns uh, can have a look at it as well and see if that uh, what he is doing on the clock, not in his personal time, right? He was allowed to be able to redact any sort of personal appointments. Right. We don't care about the dentist appointments. And he was also told he could redact the locations of his meetings if there's any uh, kind of safety issue. Hmm, interesting. So uh, separately but not separate. There's this movement on the Hill, Annie, to restrict access to elected officials' calendars going forward. Lawmakers are considering this. Um, What impact does that movement have on this case and this hearing on Monday, if any? This proposal comes from Senator Kurt Bramble, and he's been very clear about how his proposal wouldn't affect our case. Um, But it could affect things going forward. He doesn't want the judge in our case to have the last word on interpreting the law here. He says we should go ahead and make it very clear that these calendars for public officials and public employees are never subject to release. Well, where I was confused about that, I did I did hear your report on KSL uh, TV. By the way, KSLTV.com is where that report lives right now if you want to see it in its entirety. And I was just a, a, quite confused about that because that's what the courts do when it came to Bramble's argument. That's what the courts do. The courts interpret the laws that are passed by by lawmakers, whether it's a local uh, legislative body or, or Congress. So at some point, uh, I would imagine if it's not KSL 5 television, it's going to be another media organization, or it could even be somebody in the public uh, that files a records request looking to get their eyes on the calendar of an elected official to make sure they're doing the people's work uh, when they're on the clock, that at some point down the road, this could definitely end up in court no matter what. Let us know what happens Monday. Please keep us posted on that legislation on the Hill to keep the elected officials' calendars, work calendars private. Daniela Rivera, Annie Knox of the KSL 5 investigative team. Again, you can always watch their work on KSL 5 television, um, or you can catch it as well at KSLTV.com. Great work. Thank you so much for fighting for transparency. I think this is always really important uh, when it comes to not only the media, but uh, taxpayers and the public as well. Straight ahead. uh, One year ago today, um, this came up on my uh, my producer's Facebook page. You know, you do the memories thing, Taylor. Yes. You know, it comes up. One year ago today, we were hunkered down in a hotel across the street due to Snowmageddon. Oh, Snowmageddon. I remember Snowmageddon, Debbie. This year it was Snow Squall 1.0, then Snow Squall 2.0, Snow Squall the sequel. Look at it outside. It is beautiful. It's going to be 50 degrees today. Yeah. So we're going to get KSL meteorologist uh, on uh, Kevin Eubank on the line next to ask, you know, how how is February stacking up for snowpack and water and what lies ahead? Because I hear there's another snowstorm on the way. Dave and Duchanovic. I cannot believe this, Taylor. A year ago, we were hunkered down at a hotel across the street because we couldn't get out of downtown Salt Lake City because there was so, just to say, it was snowmageddon. And here we are in a leap year, and today we're at near 50 degrees. Can you, the difference is unreal. Um, but we're going to get with Kevin Newbank in just a moment, KSL meteorologist, uh, to get uh, the skinny on what's been happening uh, in the mountains to make sure we're okay for snowpack. Um, Taylor Morgan in today for Dave Noriega. Debbie, I shouldn't say this on air, but <laughs> I know that uh, we're in the middle of floor time up at the Capitol right now, and so legislators aren't listening. But I've played hooky 
probably more times this week than I should have to get up and go ski. It's been amazing. Is the snow good? Oh, goodness. It's been so nice. It's incredible. I'm hoping Kevin is going to give me a real good sense of what days I can call in sick next week. But I'll (laughs) tell you, I I can't remember a snowier, wetter February. I, I feel like not even last year. Uh, was as snowy in February as this year has been. I don't know if that's correct. I'm sure Kevin will uh, will let me know if I'm wrong on that. But... I've been enjoying these Louis Vuitton-type storms. They're so designer. They're well, so designer. Louis Vuitton? I, have... I, thought, I thought it was the Pineapple Express. No, it was it's We're Louis getting Vuitton. carried away with marketing these, these things. These storms, uh, when, they rain, when it rains in the valleys and it snows in the mountains, to me that is absolutely perfect because I don't have to spin out and slide into the KSL uh, parking garage sideways. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Eubank, meteorologist. Hi, Kev. Hey, you two. How are we today? So good. I can't believe well, what a difference a year makes. I know. Isn't it crazy? And just for the record, I will only come on the show when Dave is gone and Taylor is gone. <laughs> no. I was going to say, Kevin, so great to have you back. Truth be, truth be known, we did ask you to join us yesterday <laughs> when Dave was here, still here, but Correct. you found out he was taking today off, and you're like, that's it. I'm on with Dev and Taylor on Friday. <laughs> as long as Taylor's there and he's not skiing, I'll come in and talk about it. That's, that's awesome. That. That's awesome. So how are things stacking up this year for us this February? You guys are exactly right. Even last year, which we had such an epic winter, February was not as productive last year as it's been this year. It was actually February 20th that we started the monster storms that took us through March and April and into May. And so that was kind of the beginning of the epic water year that we've had. But this February has been amazing for water. It's up to the top five February for Utah, for Salt Lake City. Uh, for water and um, the snow in the mountains, every single basin across the entire state is above 100% for snow. Um, Every single basin has more water than average. And even if we were to shut it down um, and get only half of normal through the rest of the year, every single one of our basins would end up with above normal precipitation. That's how good we are. So So a really good scenario. Yeah, I'm so happy about this. This is such a win-win because it means the skiing is great. It also means that when summertime rolls around and I'm ready to get the boat out, Debbie, our lakes are going to be full. Uh, I'm feeling really good about things. Kevin, how much longer is winter going to last? Can we expect a lot more of this going into March? So the outlook is for a wetter than normal month of March. Um, The spring outlook is for an average um, springtime. So meteorological spring starts March 1st. So we keep it by by months. We go March, April, May for spring. So meteorological spring starts here next week. And uh, the pattern still shows valley rain, mountain snow, above normal precipitation. Now, next week, we do have a storm coming in. Monday's rain, but Tuesday's going to be some snow. And so I'm really hoping to mess up uh, uh, your <laughs> Debbie, your Louis Vuitton bag. But all the same, it, uh, we're not done with snow. I, I had Jeff Kaplan ask the, ask the other day, are we done with snow? And the answer is no. We we still have all of March, all of April, mm. and we sometimes even get a little bit of snow into May. Oh, so we're not yeah. done Love with it. snow, Love but, it. oh, man, the water that comes with this has just been phenomenal. Kevin, if I'm going to call in sick and play hooky next week, what day mm. should I target? Wednesday, Thursday. Excellent. Yeah, if you like the snow right after the snowstorm, um, you ought to have a really good day and uh, – but again, I would never encourage or condone such behavior. Naturally, please no, go to work and do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> um, so I, this is great news then for the Great Salt Lake too, right, Kev? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, Utah Lake is at such a capacity. They just started outflow releases last week into the Jordan River that will eventually get to the Great Salt Lake. And so when our seasons do well and our reservoirs are full, the Great Salt Lake does better. Um, and what, what's happened in years past, and we've had this conversation with Taylor uh, before as well as with you, Debbie, mm-hmm. the, the issue is forever we've treated the Great Salt Lake as a passive endeavor. So whatever we have extra gets to the lake, and that's not a viable conservation method. Hmm. So with the viability of what we need to do for the lake is passive is great, but we have to set aside water rights. We have to set aside a plan, and we have to allocate a portion of our water to go to that lake every year to make sure that it and all of its ecosystems are, are sustainable. So saying? even with a really good year, yeah. which we're going to have again, um, it still is about allocation, not just passive allowance to it, allow it to get there. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's just so that's such a great point, Kev. We've just got to break old habits and recognize that we weren't doing things the right way to yeah. sustain the Great Salt Lake long term. I mean, we were facing record lows in the last couple of years of the Great Salt Lake, dust that's spinning up because of that. And then now we've kicked it into high gear on uh, proposals and ways to save the Great Salt Lake from continuing to shrink. So I, you know, I always love the pitch for, you know, just get in the habit of conserving and making sure more water is available. You know, short showers, that's great. Uh, You know, maybe taking out some of that grass this this spring and this summer and replacing it with drought tolerant plants is a good thing to do as well. And there's lots of things we can do on our own, even though it feels like, you know, maybe we can't make a difference, but everybody doing it together, we make a huge difference with the Great Salt Lake. That's exactly right. It's again, it's a concentrated effort with a lot of people on board and then you really need good water years. So we're in a couple years of feast, which is awesome. And uh, now we just got to manage it well. And and inevitably the, the years of famine will come We just need to make sure that we've got a good plan in place to get through it. Yeah, KSL meteorologist Kevin Eubank, thanks so much for filling us in. Thanks for being on the show. Kevin, next time I'm going to be back in for Dave, we'll be sure to let you know so you can uh, you can join us again. We'll give you the all clear, Kev. So thank you so much. Uh, you'll hear Kevin later on today, of course, with Jeff Kaplan as always, and also over at KSL 5 Television as well. Uh, straight ahead, Taylor and I are going to talk to News Nation uh, live. Uh, we often partner with them on Fridays uh, as they continue to track the important stories that are going to be happening over the weekend and perhaps the biggest political story over the weekend is going to be Nikki Haley and the primary in South Carolina. Make sure you go tell everybody you know that they need to vote in this primary. You'd be surprised at how many of your family and friends just vote in general elections. In a general election, we're given a choice. In a primary, we make our choice. Quickly, two thoughts, Debbie. Number one, love Nikki Haley. Wish she had a chance. She doesn't this year. It's time for her to drop out and move on. Take two, Debbie. The presidential primary process is absolutely absurd. We need to toss it out and do it in a totally different what do you way mean in the by future. That? You've got 30 seconds. Come Give on. Us your I, best 30 seconds. Come on. That. We're going to let Iowa and New Hampshire dictate all of this okay. for us before the voters even really get a legitimate chance to weigh in. This thing was lost 
with a tiny fraction of a tiny fraction of Republican voters weighing Because Iowa had a very low turnout. That's right. Low turnout, bad weather, a caucus, the New Hampshire primary, very small numbers of voters. Nevada couldn't even figure out which was the real primary. Debbie, it's all a complete mess. This is not how we should be choosing our nominees for president of the United States. Straight ahead, we're going to go live with News Nation, uh, and they'll give us their take on Nikki Haley and whether she stands a chance after this weekend. The primary in South Carolina happens on Saturday. We will be keeping a close eye on it all weekend long, of course. Have full coverage on Monday as well. Dave and DeGenevic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Dave and DeGenevic, special coverage of the top national story. Uh, lobbyist, also KSL at night host, Taylor Morgan, uh, sitting in today for Dave Noriega. Just wrapped up a really hot take on the on the primary process. <laughs> Was it too hot, Debbie? No, keep okay. it going. Okay. I, I honestly, I you know, you put it in such great perspective, uh, but you think it's just it's all messed up, right? Well, I do. It's frustrating because here it is, the end of February. The Utah Republican Party is holding its presidential preference vote at caucus meetings on March fifth. So we're still just under a couple of weeks away from that opportunity to weigh in on who should be the Republican nominee for president. And at this point, it's not even a choice, Debbie, because the decision has been made. Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. Nikki Haley, bless her heart for hanging in there, but she simply does not have a path to get there. Not even this weekend. Not in even South this weekend. South Carolina. Listen, Debbie, I'll be I'll be happily surprised if she actually wins. Her home state is South Carolina. Not going to happen. But even if she did, that still doesn't get her anywhere near the delegate count to be relevant in the nomination process. It's just it's frustrating that Republicans here in Utah, we never really had a legitimate chance to weigh in on this. And I know that here in Utah, many of us would have liked the opportunity to have voted for someone other than Donald Trump. And Sure, Nikki Haley will be on the ballot at caucus meetings on March 5th, but it is too late for that vote to matter. Okay, Debbie Downer. Hey, Uh, hey. Nikki Haley still feels like she's got a shot. She's been out campaigning in South Carolina telling voters, make sure you get out tomorrow and vote. Make sure you go tell everybody you know that they need to vote in this primary. You'd be surprised at how many of your family and friends just vote in general elections. In a general election... We're given a choice. In a primary, we make our choice. She is right, Debbie. At the same time, I just want to tell Nikki to bring it in and let's huddle up and take a knee here. It's just not going to happen. In fact, she's coming to Utah next week. I know. She and that be should be a big deal. next week it in Utah. It should matter more. Oh, I think it's still Debbie. a big deal. Uh, and, okay. And Adoba, anchor for a weekend edition of Morning in America on News Nation. Hi, Anna. Hi, guys. I'm so glad you're talking about this. This is all we're going to be talking about on our show tomorrow. We have reporters and anchors stationed all over South Carolina. Taylor, you make a really good point. In the leads leading to tomorrow, in the polls leading to tomorrow, she's been down double digits, 30 points behind former President Trump. The problem is this is her home state. This is where she was supposed to walk away with a win. Talking, I'm glad you played that advertisement from her, that ad. 
If you're anywhere near South Carolina today, Haley and her allies have waged an aggressive campaign on the airwaves. They've spent roughly $15 million just for this week on the airwaves. But the question is, is she going to drop out? When will she drop out? You've heard her sound bites. She's very good. Haley's very good about sticking to those talking points. She's articulate. She gets her points across. Unfortunately, at least in South Carolina, it is not resonating. Also, what doesn't help, remember Tim Scott? Remember all these people from South Carolina that she actually endorsed and helped get into office? They've turned their backs on her and ha- are now voting for President Trump, So there, or former President Trump. So there are so many hurdles that she has to get through. Yeah, no Anna, doubt. Anna, what is it, the, the, what's your take on this? Why is she just not able to resonate? Uh, because when we look at the polling, you know, most Americans think that, Former President Trump and President Biden are are too old. But look, look what's happening to Haley. She's running against uh, Trump for the Republican nomination. And yet her polling numbers just aren't there. So what is it? What is it about her? Or is it is she just the elephant in the room and he's not leaving the room? A little bit of both, because it depends on who you ask. If you ask Nikki Haley, she's like, listen, as far as South Carolina, the good old boys never liked me. They didn't like my progressive views when I was a governor. Also, look, people love Donald Trump. His MAGA people love him. He has a very devoted and loyal base. What I'm hearing more and more, fine, she's not getting the polling right now. Guys, the money keeps pouring in. In January, she raised, I believe, $15 million. It could be $19 million, but $15 million. Last week in Texas, just last week, she raised a million dollars. So she is showing people, look, I can still bring the money in. And we know at the end of the day, a lot of the times, money talks, right? However, a lot of experts are saying that she may be, and I don't know, you know, we'll see if this stranger things have happened, but she's setting it up for 2028. That's one of the rumors ah. we're hearing more and more. And by the way, the New York Times came out with an article this week discussing potential VPs if former President Trump does make it to the general election. One of the names floating, believe it or not, is Nikki Haley. Personally, I think there's too much baggage between them. But <laughs> yeah. as we've known with primaries, I'll say it again, stranger things have happened. You never know. <laughs> right now, though, a lot of experts think maybe she's staying in solely to build her foundation for 2028. Wow. Intriguing. And this is going to be big news on News Nation this weekend, right, Anna? Huge news. I'm telling you guys, Leland Vittard, Elizabeth Vargas, Chris Cuomo, we are all on hand tomorrow. We're going to have a live show when the polls close tomorrow. I'll be on the morning show. We'll be there when the polls open. We'll be talking to voters. Okay. News Nation has got you covered with this. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Anna. Um, Have a good weekend. Enjoy the South Carolina primaries. We'll be covering it big as well. Our team of reporters and producers right here at KSL News Radio tracking it over the weekend. Tim and Amanda with you first thing Monday morning. Then Dave and I, Dave will be back. Uh, We'll follow up uh, from 9 to noon, and then we'll have full coverage of how the South Carolina primaries are shaking out for Nikki Haley and for Donald Trump. What is your take on, on why she isn't hasn't been able to resonate when most of the nation doesn't want somebody the age of Donald Trump um, or President Joe Biden in office as president? It's a great question, Debbie. Again, I, I think that if I had a very clear, easy answer to that question, that I'd be a lot more important, uh, you know, than I am. But well, then guess. Well, 
Look, I think Donald Trump has been on this course ever since 2020. It's been inevitable. Yeah. And obviously, we saw a lot of Republicans come out and take their best shot at Donald Trump. Good for Nikki Haley that she has, she's the cream of the crop, right? She has risen above all of the other challengers to Donald Trump, which really bodes well for her future. She does have a very bright future. You know, we might see a a, a Spencer Cox versus Nikki Haley showdown in 2032. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just speculating. But she definitely has captured the interest of many voters across the country. I think Nikki Haley is able to speak about some really key issues like abortion, like immigration, in a way that is becoming very appealing to more and more Republicans and also uh, independents and even some Democrats. So she has a a bright future. But frankly, Debbie, I don't think it was really ever possible for anyone to eclipse Donald Trump in 2024. I would just I would like to know what kind of spell that man has on Republicans. He is a political unicorn. None of the conventional rules of politics apply to Donald Trump. Donald Trump has his own playbook It does not work for any other candidate in any other race. It is unique to him and only him. No one can replicate that. This has been a freight train coming since 2020. And doesn't matter who lies down on the tracks, Debbie, or what you throw at him. He is on a path to the White House in the 2024 November election. But does he have what it takes to beat Biden? It's it's it, tough to not well, get company out. That's what's so frustrating yeah. because he didn't beat polling him last time. has shown that Nikki Haley actually performs better head to head against Joe Biden. Well, because Trump lost last time. He did. Against Biden. And We've seen how that movie ends. A lot of Donald Trump candidates have just absolutely gotten shellacked in the midterms. So whatever it yeah, is about Donald Trump. The promised red wave no. has not materialized. But here's the thing, Debbie. Donald Trump is not going away. That as much is absolutely crystal clear. So let's just rip off the Band-Aid. He's probably going to get elected in 2024 in November. He'll have his four years, and then we can all just move on from Donald <laughs> Trump, okay? We'll just be able to move on. But, you know, the worst thing the would case, be— The best case for term limits. Debbie, the worst case scenario would be if Donald Trump uh, doesn't win re-election, if he's the nominee and he this year, back. and then he tries to come back again in 2028, Debbie, let's just get this thing done with, okay? And guess what? I'll take the economy and lower taxes under Trump, and I won't complain. <laughs> Taylor, that's awesome. Uh, speaking of movies, and we see how they end, uh, Andy and Steve up next. Of course, they take over the, the microphone uh, during the movie show at 11 o'clock every Friday. And we're going to talk about uh, movies or shows that just didn't quite stick the landing at the end. Um, and I've got one in mind. It was recently released, and I'd read the book, and then when I went and saw the movie, I'm like, eh, the book was better. Hey, you can't read the book. Dave, Dave and Dejanovic. Hey, it's Friday. It's the perfect time to subscribe to the Dave and Dejanovic podcast and be part of our exclusive podcast contest. Uh, this is just for our podcast listeners, so make sure you subscribe. You can do so through kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And then you're going to listen for Dave to give you a keyword. And then you're going to text that keyword to 57500. Uh, Time's running out. We are short on time because the contest ends at the end of February. Uh, And you can enter to win a pair of AirPod Pros. So make sure you subscribe to the Dave and Dujanovic podcast and then Listen for that keyword. The following preview has been rated G and is appropriate for all audiences. Yay! 
It's movie show time with <laughs> Steve and Andy. I love Fridays, and I love the fact that you guys are on at 11 to 1 because we can listen to you during the lunch hour. Taylor Morgan, in today, you guys, for um, Dave Noriega, do you have a favorite movie, Taylor? Oh, goodness. Debbie, way to put me on the spot there. He's like, um, I can't think of any. <laughs> well, I, I mean, Top Gun Maverick is still oh, probably my go-to rewatchable right now. Yeah, that Hard came up beat. on my recommendations, Andy, for my streaming. I would never argue with that because that was the best movie of the year, in my opinion. Absolutely. In I agree. Tw- in 2020, was it one, two, 2022? Yeah, about yeah. 20,000 movies ago. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was 2022. That was the big shocker for me when it came up on streaming. I was like, oh, is that, oh, is it two years ago? Uh, so we want to talk to, uh, I know you guys are going to talk about movies and streaming and all that good stuff during your show, but um, you guys kind of... Uh, nudged me on this question, and I appreciate it, you guys, um, on what movies or shows, in my view, just haven't been able to stick the landing, like where the landing is super disappointing. And I've got one. Do you guys have one? Well, this kind of comes about a couple of the things we're going to talk about today. Uh, Sometimes, Debbie, we get a little lucky as the people who review it. They send us a whole season of something that you end up having to wait like eight weeks if you were going to watch it as it drops on streaming. And so... We get to binge it eight weeks before anybody else has oh. a chance to binge it. And so sometimes you start a series and like, like, for example, today, one of the series, Constellation, it dropped three episodes. Right. So you get to watch the three. But then Steve and I, if we had time and Steve did, I didn't quite have enough time, could watch all the way to the end. But that's not going to air till like end of March. That's because it hooked me. But when I got to episode seven and eight, like, oh, no. They kind of, they didn't stick the landing. I think that's the hardest thing for filmmakers or series showrunners to do is to stick the landing. Get that third act right. Mm. So what would that, what is this show about? Can you tell us? Uh, Well, Constellation, it's about uh, the The stars. (laughs) Yeah. It's about a lady on the International Space Station. First of all, it's Ah. better than the International Space Station movie we got last month. That's true. (laughs) Let's say that. Let's hope. But okay. it, and I and I saw the first three episodes, so I know exactly what he's talking about. I am intrigued. Yes, and so I'm I'm kind of sad to hear that it maybe isn't gonna stick the landing, so to speak. Well, it's that's it, such a good phrase because yeah, you, you're, as a gymnast, you could do everything perfect, and if you wobble on that landing, yeah. You- well, the idea is that there's something going on uh, on the space shuttle, or not the space shuttle, but the uh, International Space, space Station. Station. And there's a group of people up there, and something happens, and then something happens again, but it's completely different. And so what is the anomaly that's creating this strange occurrence in, in, in events? And they just build it up so beautifully. And then when you get to the last episode or two, they're like, oh, here's, here's what we think. And you're like, wait, no, wait, no, no. <laughs> that's not even nearly as close as what the buildup that you gave me for this particular event is not the, you know, I, and I'm sure that there'll people will be satisfied with yeah. that. But I, I just sat there like, no, come on. you got to give me more than that. But that better. got us thinking because there are movies and series that you just loved the journey. And then yeah. at the end, you were like, I kind of liked the journey more than the destination. Okay. Exactly. So I'm so now, glad. I'm you, curious what you're yeah, going to say. I'm so glad you guys prompted me on this because I've been wanting to say this for the last couple of years. So let me just set up the scene. Um, I'm at my house. It's, you know, I'm reading this book every single day and I because it is like one of the biggest books of the year, uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. 
and then the movie comes out, right? So I am timing my reading of this book, which if you don't know about this, basically it's set back in the 1950s in the swamp, in the marsh, and it involves a, a very young girl whose parents abandon her, and she's got to basically figure out a way. Her whole family abandons her. She's got to figure out a way to survive in the marsh, and she does it by, you know, selling crawdads and, um, and and documenting all the animals of the marsh. And along the way, she meets, um, she comes in contact with like the high school quarterback and she doesn't go to school, but she comes in and eventually it turns into a situation where he at one point uh, attempts to assault her and he beats her and he attempts to, and I'll use the word, rape her. So um, at some point uh, in the book, um, when she's in another city, um, this individual ends up being killed. And, uh, of course, they think she did it because after that encounter she with has him. Reason. Yeah, she has reason, right? Uh, after that encounter with her, him, she's also heard by a couple of fishermen screaming, "I, you know, I'm going to kill you if you ever do that to me again. So, okay, I read this whole book, you guys, and I time it to literally set the book down on a weekend <laughs> afternoon, jump in my car, and drive two miles to the movie theater. I've already pre-bought my ticket. I'm there alone, so I don't have anybody to bother me while I'm no watching this movie. No distractions okay? There's no fingerprints on the railing. Great stuff. No fingerprints. Being isolated was one thing. Being hunted, quite another. The marsh girl. She killed him. No, I never knew. And I am sitting me. there for, I don't know, it felt like a three-hour movie. It probably wasn't. And I, they got to the end of the movie... And in the book, I felt at the end, she did it. And in the movie, I felt like I didn't know who did it. And I got to my car after that, and I'm like, yeah, I like the book better. So I felt like the, the movie did not stick the landing the way the book did. So I, I appreciated you uh, prompting me on that question because that has bugged me ever since. Mm. And I, in fact, I wanted to go back and read the book. It's on my it's on my coffee table to read again because I want to make sure I got the book right now. You, Debbie, you set yourself up to fail there. You have to read the book after oh. you watch the movie or the TV series because I'm sorry, but the book will always be better. Because that's your imagination inside your own head. That's a great point. With the exception of Jurassic Park. Ah, touche. Oh. Yes. That, bo- that movie it, was it, way better rarity, than the book. It, and it's because you have a billion-dollar fund in your head to create <laughs> all of the props and places that you want to go. And they're in your brain. You don't have to wait for somebody to put it on, on the screen. So... Books are always, nine times out of ten, the books are better than the movies. Yeah, and I think you guys brought up a great point that I, I do, look, it's, they do great work. Movie producers, directors, they do great work. I don't, don't even know how, the, how they do this stuff. But um, I think the struggle is, like, how do we get out of this? <laughs> and make our viewers, our uh, our readers feel like we've, the, the ending is, ex- we're delivering the ending for them. Well, and that's hard because sometimes the story, I, I don't, that's, I'm not a writer enough to, to give yeah. proper crit- critique, but you'd hope that they'd start with the ending and then build the story. But there it feels go. like a lot of times they have an idea of, of what they want to get to as far as like the high point, but 
And so they get to that point, and then they're like, well, how do we finish this? How, how do we I felt like of Killers there? of the Flower Moon wrapped itself up in five seconds after taking three hours to tell the story. And then it's like, here's Martin oh, no. Scorsese doing a radio thing. You guys, oh, we got to go, but I, oh, okay. you guys are up next, so you can use your good example <laughs> in 30 seconds. But the Killers of the Flower Moon, I've read that book. Uh, now I don't know. Maybe I won't go see the movie. Taylor, thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Debbie. It was a pleasure. Yeah, it's a lot of fun having you, and you have a great weekend. You too. Andy and Steve, up next. Hi, it's Dave and Debbie here of the Dave and Dijanovic Show on KSL News Radio. We're on live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at 9. And every day we start off with the launch, so the keyword is going to be launch. So text that keyword to 57500, and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros.